Be inspired, supported, and empowered. This is the Global Healthy Living Foundation Podcast Network. Welcome to The Health Advocates, a podcast that breaks down major health news of the week to help you make sense of it all. I'm Stephen Newmark, Director of Policy at the Global Healthy Living Foundation. And I'm Zoe Rospa, Associate Director of Community Outreach at GHLF. Our goal is to help you understand what's happening in the healthcare world to help you make informed decisions to live your best life. Today, we're going to talk about the heat wave and its impact on public health and what it means for you as someone living with chronic disease. But first, we do have a few news updates. Let's start with some long COVID trials. The National Institute of Health, the NIH, is launching clinical trials to test for four possible treatments for long COVID, including administering the antiviral Paxlovid over a longer course than is used for treating new infections. This is really cool. Definitely. I know we've had a lot of discussion around long COVID and its impact, but I haven't seen much about what's happening with treatment. So I'm excited that as we go into the fall, where typically we can expect a COVID surge, that this is now being researched. For sure. Yeah, this is good stuff. And it's something we hear a lot about from our community, concern about long COVID. And sometimes we hear that those with suffering from long COVID are being ignored. But clearly, that's not the case from the standpoint of the NIH, at least. And researchers are specifically testing potential treatments for associated cognitive issues, sleep issues, and problems with the autonomic nervous system. And another trial still under development will focus on exercise intolerance and fatigue, and any additional trials will be announced on a rolling basis. So definitely like a wide variety of symptoms being addressed. Yeah, absolutely. So that's really good news. Other news in these dog days of August, there is a surge, unfortunately, of people losing Medicaid coverage. A decline in Medicaid coverage was expected with the end of the public health emergency, but health officials are raising concerns about the large numbers of people being dropped from the rolls for failing to return forms or follow simple procedures, or I shouldn't call them simple procedures, that's not right, for failing to follow certain procedures, if you will. That's right. And if you look at the numbers, so in 18 states that began a post-pandemic review of their Medicaid rolls in April, health coverage was continued for about 1 million recipients and ended for about 715,000. Yeah, of those four in five, so 80% were dropped for procedural reasons, according to newly released data from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. That's a lot, yeah. especially over something that could maybe be avoided, especially like a lot of it had to do with mail because there wasn't digital forms available for people to fill out and things were lost. Excuse my crudity, but filling out forms sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and it's easier to make a mistake when you fill out a form. That's right. Your health shouldn't suffer as a result. And if you lose Medicaid, if you lose your insurance carrier, essentially, your health is likely to suffer. Definitely. And also, like I know there's guidelines about when you can re-enroll in health insurance. I'm not exactly sure how it works for Medicaid, but hopefully these people don't experience like too big of a drop in a lack of coverage. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. And it's why we raise it because we advocate for those who need us, for sure. And the Secretary of the Health and Human Services did send a letter to all governors encouraging them to support efforts to retain people on Medicaid, also encouraging them to use electronic information for other federal programs such as food stamps. So hopefully that'll help confirm people's eligibility for Medicaid and other programs. Yeah, excellent. Hopefully that happens and we can report back some good news on our next program. Oh my gosh, I hope so. (laughs) All right, well, we said it is the dog days of August, but starting in July and actually probably starting even earlier than that, the U.S. has faced record high temperatures and levels of heat exposure that have never been seen before 
in our country. Just in the last few weeks, in July, more than 140 million people were under heat advisories in nearly three dozen states from coast to coast. Yeah, in the Midwest, temperatures are up to 20 degrees above normal. And similarly, in the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic, there's been dangerous heat waves as well. Actually, if you look back at just like how common heat waves were in the 1960s, Americans saw about two heat waves a year. And by the 2010s, there were six per year, according to the EPA. Yeah, and I just want to take a pause to say why we're talking about this. First of all, it's top of mind for a lot of folks, as we mentioned, the millions upon millions of Americans that are affected. And as we'll get into, heat is a threat to public health. It impacts all of us. It has a disproportionate impact, of course, on the elderly. But, you know, this is not a particular cause celeb like non-medical switching or something that we've spoken about before. It's still important to advocate to let folks know how these heat waves are affecting you. For sure. And just aside from general advocacy, also self-advocacy, like yeah. you mentioned, we'll talk about some of the personal health risks, but it's really important as an individual, just generally, but especially someone who lives with chronic disease to know your risk and talk to your doctor so you could have a prepared plan. You know, you mentioned this isn't advocacy like non-medical switching. This also isn't a virus in the way COVID is, but it's still something that impacts your health on a day-to-day basis in this season. Right. And also, let's not forget, there's a cost angle to this too. It's expensive to run your air conditioner. And we know that having a chronic illness can also be expensive. So to add another cost layer to this, and depending on your job situation, you know, there may be lost productivity to deal with for yourself or for your loved ones. So there are other attendant costs associated with these heat waves. For sure. There's a lot at play here. So I'm glad we're going to talk about it together. And let's dive into some of the health impact. So the obvious one, heat stroke, is one of the most common and deadly heat-related illnesses and obviously becomes more significant during heat waves. And then what's really interesting here is that heat deaths and illnesses are totally preventable, but extreme heat is the number one weather-related killer in the U.S. Yeah, the past two decades have seen a 54% increase in heat-related mortality among people 65 and older. So yeah, you hit that. That's one group that's at risk, 65 and older. Similarly, Mm -hmm. the very young people with underlying health conditions, those who are overweight and those who are on certain medications. I mean, we talk about these groups a lot. They're at risk for other illnesses, and it's no surprise that they would be at risk here. Yeah, and there are other ways that heat impacts your health. Air pollution gets worse as rising temperatures increase the rate of formation of hazards like ozone. Such pollutants in turn exasperate heart and lung problems. The rise in nighttime temperatures is particularly worrisome for public health. Without much overnight cooling, people living through a heat wave experience higher cumulative heat stress, increasing risks of problems like dehydration and disrupting sleep, which can further worsen exhaustion and stress from high temperatures. You know, it's really interesting when I was reading up on this before recording, I saw that experts say there's no absolute temperature at which heat can turn dangerous. It really depends on the individual and how acclimated they are to heat. Yeah. So this is often why heat waves earlier in the season or in places you don't typically expect them to happen can have greater public health impacts because either people themselves aren't acclimated to the heat or there's not enough cooling infrastructures in place. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I guess that makes total sense. I mean, if you're someone that lives in a particularly warm climate and it raises a few degrees, it's very different than if you're in a place that has changing climates and you go 
suddenly from 60s, 70s, and all of a sudden shooting up through the hundreds. That could be, yeah, that could be quite troubling to say the least. Yeah, because your body's built in defense, right? Sweat, you know, that system is used to working, used to operating. And I guess it takes like a little bit longer for your body to catch up if you're not acclimated. Another issue with heat waves is that they can exasperate social inequalities. While cities can warm up faster than their surroundings, poor neighborhoods, which are disproportionately home to people of color, tend to get hotter. These neighborhoods often have less tree cover and green spaces, more paved surfaces that soak up the heat. And at the same time, lower income residents may have a harder time affording crucial air conditioning and cooling units. That's right. And the same pattern of heat inequality plays out on an international scale, too, with lower income countries already facing higher health and economic costs from heat regions as well. So it's really important advocacy issue when you think about you know, where you can raise your voice, you know, where you live shouldn't affect your ability to cool and good health when it's hot out. Yeah, absolutely. So just, uh, I guess, some non-medical advice, if you will, from non-doctors. A few things to keep in mind. Heat stroke is not an actual stroke. It's when the body quickly overheats and can no longer use its usual tricks like sweat, as you mentioned, to cool itself down. Providers need to uh, cool the person quickly, ideally within the first half hour of symptoms. And there's a problem here is that there's no actual like alert system in the emergency room like there is for a standard stroke. So ER staffers are often left scrambling and heat stroke can also present in a way that looks like symptoms like other illnesses that bring people into the ER. Right. So there isn't like always a rapid response around heat stroke, which is really critical because like you said, you want to cool down the person within the first half hour. Right. And this is something that emergency rooms are starting to incorporate uh, climate into their thinking and adopt the medical system to have programs in place to help patients with climate related illnesses such as this. For sure. And thinking about just like what else can be done as a public public health person, I would say improve public health outreach and provide more cooling resources and education, particularly in those vulnerable neighborhoods that you just mentioned, where we could reduce some of the worst effects on people. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'll just say it's frustrating that we even have to take an episode to talk about the weather, if you will, but it, it truly is a public health hazard. And it's something that is international. And for, you know, quite a number of years, could look at heat and say, yeah, that's something that happens elsewhere. But it's here. It's in the United States. It affects all of us. Uh, earlier this summer, we spoke about the Canadian wildfires. And even if you're as far north as Canada, uh, you're being impacted by the changes in our environment. So there is a health angle and we want everyone to be as safe and healthy as possible. And we're still getting a lot of those air quality alerts. Most days here in New York, I noticed that it's elevated and that coupled with the heat. I don't have respiratory issues, but it certainly does make it harder to breathe outside. I know. Yeah, it's not just like something that's on the news. It's really something being felt on the individual level. I know. We need to dig a bunker and go live there. It's our <laughs> only chance. It's our only chance, Zoe. As long as we can bring the dogs with us. Mac, you ready to go? <laughs> yes, we'll have a dog-friendly bunker. Well, anyway, again, I wish we didn't have to have an episode like this, but what's happening, it's on top of mind and, you know, it's something that we'll stay on top of. Yeah, and don't forget to talk to your doctors about your health and your medication risk and what the heat means for you because it's always a good idea to have those conversations ahead of time. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Stephen, that brings us to the close of our show. What did you learn today? You know, I, I learned from you just a few moments ago how it's less about the actual temperature and more about the change in temperature that affects a heat stroke. So I thought that was interesting. Thank you for sharing that, Zoe. And I learned from you just highlighting some of the inequalities in you know our society and how heat can have a major impact on certain vulnerable groups. 
Yeah, well, we hope that you learned something too. And before we go, we definitely want to encourage everyone to check out all of our podcasts at ghlf.org backslash listen. And if you have any questions, comments, or topic ideas, don't forget to email us at podcast at ghlf.org. Well, everyone, thanks for listening to The Health Advocates, a podcast that breaks down major health news of the week to help you make sense of it all. If you like this episode, please give us a rating and write a review on Apple Podcasts and definitely subscribe wherever you listen. I'm Zoe Rosclaff. I'm Stephen Newmark. We'll see you next time. Be inspired, supported, and empowered. This is the Global Healthy Living Foundation Podcast Network.